Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us understand. Jesus said that he would send you so that you would help us understand your words. And so we ask this morning that you would help us understand. That you would pierce our hearts. And that we would leave here this morning with a bright burning flame. excited all the more to worship you. Help us to see the glory that awaits. Amen. I'm going to start off this morning with a question for us. Now this isn't a trick question by any means, okay? And now you're probably waiting for a trick question. All right, don't think too hard on this question. Can we, can we have heaven on earth? Can we right here, us, have heaven on earth? And, and the simple answer is no, right? We cannot have heaven on earth. That's something that God brings in. However, that doesn't stop us from trying, does it? Ever since the garden and Adam and Eve being forced to leave or leaving the garden, there's been this consistent try to make heaven on earth without God. We see this through trying to fulfill instant needs. 
And what a better time to live than the 21st century and be tempted to find heaven on earth, (laughs) right? Like, our instant needs can be gratified at this very moment. If you wanted to, you could take out your phone, you could open up an app named after a rainforest, you could order clothes, food, shoes, get your Christmas shopping done, Whatever you want. And by tomorrow, it'll be at your front door. Now think with me here. If you were to have told a king or a queen 200 years ago that very common, ordinary people could have something delivered to them by the next day from another country, they would go, are you insane? Do you understand and realize that we live better lives in the 21st century than kings and queens lived 200, 300 years ago? How much more of a temptation is it for us to find heaven on earth? Not to mention all of the ways that now we can travel and go on vacation where we are able to step out of the plane or our hotel room and look at God's creation and say to ourselves, now this is a little slice of heaven on earth. And yet we come back from vacation and we need a vacation from our vacation. What about all of the noble humanitarian efforts to end world hunger. To get rid of diseases so people can live to be 175 years old. Or the pursuit in curing mental health so people can have uh, mental peace with themselves and their surroundings. As humans, we're constantly trying to set up heaven on earth, and yet wherever sin is, we will never experience the peace and the perfection that our hearts long for. Why do you think that we so desperately, as humans, century after century, can see that this world order of peace that people try to enact just falls flat constantly. And yet there's some type of idealism in our minds that, well, it didn't work for them, but it will work for us because we're more advanced or we're smarter people or we're more evolved. It's this internal nature or it's this reality that we've been made in the image of God that constantly tempts us to pursue producing heaven on earth here. But day by day, we're met with pain. I mean, look, none of us, let me say it like this, anybody in here right now is five minutes away from a phone call that will rock your world and change the trajectory of your life. Somebody could leave here this morning 
and take their normal drive home and get into a massive wreck. Where there is sin, there will be suffering. And where there is suffering, there will never be perfection. There will never be ultimate peace that we long for. I mean, we try to create those spaces, right men? We try to create the man cave, our little slice of heaven. Or the she shed. At least that's what one of the insurance companies say. So here's what I want us to see this morning as we wrap up this series. This is the the key point, the big idea, the theme of this sermon is that God will prepare a perfect place for His children. God will prepare a perfect place for His children. And we're going to see this unfold in three points. We will see God's new place for His child. Second, we will see God's promise for his child. And then third, we'll look at God's inheritance for his child. So let's look at our first point. Verses one and two, we see God's new place for his child. Let me read this for us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So John, who is the the writer here, John, the the disciple, the beloved disciple whom Jesus loved, is is the one who is writing this here, and, and he's having a vision. And this vision entails him seeing the new heavens and the new earth being inaugurated. And this isn't, this isn't a, a new type of vision that he's, he's having. This is a vision that God gave Isaiah, that God spoke to Isaiah in, in 65 and 66. It's right there for you to look up if you want to. God had already told Isaiah that there this new heaven and this new earth would be inaugurated at some point. What's taking place here is, is the old is wasting away and the new is coming. Most commentators, what they, what they believe is going on here is that not, God's not um, creating something out of nothing like he did for the first heavens and the first earth. But instead, what's taking place is this transformation is taking place. That the old is starting to fade away and that the new is starting to come. And it's, it's a lot like what we experience as being a new creation, His new creation. And we, we saw this a few weeks ago, didn't we? Where we as His children, we experience this transformation from one degree of glory to another. We're already fully justified in His sight, and yet there's still sin that nags in our heart. Right? And so what takes place for us is that we are being slowly made into the image and likeness of Christ. And this is exactly what's taking place too here. You know, there's a guy... Most of you probably know who he is. If you don't, his name's John Newton. 
John Newton, um, he was first a, a slave trader. He picked up that nasty habit from his father. His father was a slave trader and he entered into the family business. And when he became a Christian, he, he spent the rest of his day, days pastoring and doing everything he could to abolish the slave trade. And, and one of the songs that John Newton wrote is a song that you're probably familiar with, Amazing Grace. Believe it or not, Chris Tomlin didn't write that song. And there's a part in that song that I think communicates pretty clearly what's taking place here. Maybe, maybe you already know where I'm going with this. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. This is what's taking place here. Is as the old is starting to fade away, the new is starting to come. As the old is dying out, the new is being born. We live in a world that is cursed. And it feels the effects of the curse. In Romans 8, this is, this is how Paul sees things playing out. is that the world creation is groaning right now. Why? Because it's passing. If you've ever been around somebody who is dying or on the verge of passing away, there gets to be a point where they just start to groan. And this is what is taking place, and this is the vision that John is seeing, is that this old world is fading away and this new heavens and new earth is starting to come. And guess what? This new heaven and new earth is going to be spectacular. Do you see how John sees this vision? In, in, in Scripture, if you're getting ready, if you're, if you're gearing up for this next year to maybe read through the Bible in a year, I would encourage you, highlight and look at all of the times that there's this picture of a husband-bride marriage going on. We see this taking place right here as, as John is he's saying, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's going to be spectacular. I, I, I remember the first time that I saw Sharice on our wedding day. I made some type of stupid joke and, and the reason why I made some type of stupid joke is because I was speechless and had no idea what to say. There is a reason that, that there is normally this look down the aisle, this first look that takes place as the bride is being ushered to her groom. And this is what we see taking place. This is what John is seeing in his vision that this bride is being ushered. This is exactly what Jesus tells his disciples. I've got to leave because I'm preparing this place for you. 
So this, this past, so Friday, Sharice and I, we, we had an ultrasound. Well, I didn't have an ultrasound. Sharice had an ultrasound. I was just there. And uh, the baby's heart rate was kind of doing stuff. And so they're like, we want to send you to labor and delivery. And so we were there and I was working on the message and they just wanted to monitor to see if the baby's heart rate is fine, which, is, which it is. But as, as we were in the, the, the hospital room, I couldn't help but just tell Sharice, you know, this is, this is reminding me of, of, of what you read when you read Narnia. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This is a spoiler alert, so sorry. If you haven't read it yet, um, it's been out for 50 or 60 years. So, And the movie's been out for 10 years. You come into Narnia, and what's the first thing that Lucy sees? She sees snow. And at first glance, you think this is beautiful. But then as you start to read on, you start to realize that it's always winter, never Christmas. And because it's never Christmas, that means it's never spring. And because it's never spring, it never turns into summer. And, and you start to understand that the white witch has casted a spell over Narnia, causing it to be always winter, always miserable. And of course, you have people who are able to enjoy themselves through this misery of living through winter and never Christmas. But they're still miserable because they know that this is not how Narnia was intended to be. But Aslan is on the move. And as you read in the book or watch in the movie that as the kids are there longer and as Aslan is establishing his reign more and more, and as that battle is coming, what starts to happen? The snow starts to go. And you start to see Narnia bloom with flowers, petals, trees, grass, blue rivers, majestic mountains. Heaven, the new heavens and new earth are going to be so incredible that we will look at the grass and marvel every single day. Just the grass. We'll look at it and we will say, this is more magnificent and beautiful today than it was yesterday. We'll go to trees and look at the bark and say, this is the most beautiful brown and ash that I have ever seen. We will breathe in the air and we will say to ourselves, I've never breathed in fresher air than right now. Why? Because this new heavens and new earth is going to be magnificent. This 
new place that God is preparing for his children is going to be breathtaking, spectacular. We will look at the new heavens and earth and maybe some of us will even make a stupid joke because we just won't know what to say. And this might be a little unbelievable. And as we continue to read and we look at our second point in verses 3 through 6, we might say to ourselves, this is, this is too good to be true. But we see that God has a couple of promises for us. We look at verses 3 and 4 and we see, we see oh, well not just 3 and 4, we, we, we look at verses 3 through 6 and what we actually see is we see now, now this, this vision that John is having transitioning to now God speaking directly to John and explaining to him what this will be like. So not only is God preparing a place for his children, but he's preparing a spectacular place for his children. And he's promising it. There are two promises that we see. We see this in verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, there it is, God. He's saying, look, John. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Here's the first promise. Perfect, unhindered fellowship with God himself. you guys long to fellowship with God? I think it's natural in a Christian's heart, day by day as they continue to grow, to just long to fellowship with God more and more. And what God is revealing to and promising John is that when the new heavens and new earth comes and, and, and the old heavens and earth fade away, you will dwell with me unhindered. You will never, you will never again have an ounce of doubt that God is distant from you. Never again will you pray to yourself or pray to God and say, God, you seem silent. Where are you? Never again will we have to pray saying, God, God, listen to my prayers, please. Dwell with me. Help me see and know that you are here with me. Never again will we have to have just even a smidge of doubt that God isn't with us. We will know that God is completely dwelling with us. We will feel secure and safe. Is this what you long for? 
I mean, how often do we think that if we just have heaven here on earth, then I'll feel secure and safe? If I'm just, if I just have that vacation, if I just have this mental peace, if I just can make this amount of money, then me and my family will be secure for the future. And we will never feel that here in this lifetime. But in the next lifetime, we will feel that perfect security and peace that our hearts long for because this new heavens and new earth is going to be a place where we dwell with God unhindered. And this next promise is is the overflowing from this first promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore from the former things have passed away. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will embrace Jesus. And we will feel a sense of security and stability that we've never felt before in our lives. And and all of those things in our hearts that cause us to, to doubt and wonder if God is good will disappear. And we'll embrace Jesus for a hundred years. And we'll exhale finally. And because we will dwell with God, we will never experience the pain of miscarriages. The mourning of losing parents, siblings, or children. The wickedness of being abused and sinned against. Instead, we will fully embrace Jesus and feel stability and security. I mean, the best illustration that I could possibly think of is, I don't know if you've ever if you've ever been out and you've seen a child who can't find their parents. And they are scared. You can see it on their face. The kids that aren't crying, the kids that are crying, you can see how pale they get. How scared they are. They feel that life is unstable and they don't have that security. But as soon as they find mom or dad, what happens? They feel that security and stability. Why? Because they are with mom and dad. This is what it's going to be like when we are with Jesus. We will feel the stability and security because God will dwell with us and we will dwell with Him and we will be His people and He will be our God. And we won't have any of these No tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. 
Why? How could this be? It's because there's no curse. There's no curse to hinder our relationship with God anymore. It's gone. It's done away with. He has defeated it once and for all. And we see in verses 5 through 6, two times this promise is confirmed. Two times God speaks to John. And he says, this is going to happen. Without a doubt, this is going to take place. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Jesus is saying, you can take that to the bank. This is a done deal. This is what you can expect. Perfect dwelling with me. Perfect stability and security with me. It's a done deal. This isn't a promise I'm going to break. I mean, I just, at times, I wish that we would just take God's word at face value. Right? Jesus is saying, when have I dropped the ball before? When have I gone back on one of my promises before? I, w- I went to bat for you to the point of death. I'm not dropping this promise either. You will, if you're my child, dwell with me. And I will dwell with you. And I will be your anchor. I will be your support. I will be your stability. You will worship me because the curse will be gone. It is trustworthy and true. Not only is it trustworthy and true, but Jesus says it is done. Why? (laughs) What gives Jesus the right to say that? Because he's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. You know, alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. So really what Jesus is saying here and what we might be able to also say is this. Jesus is the A through Z. This is why the gospel is the A through Zs. It's beginning to the end. He is God. And we will get to heaven and we will say to Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we will say it with as much truth and honesty that our heart can possibly bring up. And we will not lack a single thing. It says it right here. We won't. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down, for these words are true and trustworthy. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Look, you will not lack a single thing in heaven. You will not be left wanting more. Does it surprise, like, let's just, please, I, I ask us, this relationship that we have, one of the things that I'm just constantly asking us is let's just be honest with ourselves. How often do you, on a weekly basis, how quickly as you leave here, will you leave this, meditating on this, and look for something to bring you security? How quickly? Will you look to something and think, this is the thing that will really fill up my heart? If the Packers can just get a W tonight, I don't even know if they're playing tonight. So. And yet Jesus is saying, in this place, I will satisfy you completely. Holy. You will not lack a single thing. And it's not going to be because you've paid me for it. It's going to be because I've freely given it to you. How is this made possible? In our third point, we see that this is the inheritance. This is God's inheritance for His children. This is the inheritance that we receive. So, so when, when Paul in Romans 8 is talking about this inheritance that we receive as children, as adopted children, this is the inheritance. Here, here it says heritage, but you could also translate heritage as inheritance if you really wanted to. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Through Jesus. Through Jesus, we are conquerors. Christ conquered sin and death. Christ conquered sin and death so that while yet you were still a sinner, if you trust in Him, you could receive the same status. A beloved son, a beloved daughter, and you would receive the inheritance that Christ receives. Because Christ has been victorious he will inherit the kingdom. And when we trust in Him and we put on His righteousness, His inheritance becomes part of our inheritance. When you trust in Jesus, when you trust in Christ, you are no longer an enemy, but you are called a child of God. This is what Jesus did for us. 
He conquered sin and death for us. He came to, to dwell with us and he was unjustly murdered on our behalf because we are sinners. We were to face the full wrath of God that he faced. And instead of us facing the full wrath of God that he faced by our trust in him, we inherit this new heavens and new earth. This place where we are able to dwell with God securely and uh, stable. But we see This is the inheritance that we receive as children, but we see that there is a warning in here, don't we? We see that Jesus' earthly ministry, when he preached, his message is the same when he's telling John this too. Jesus' earthly ministry, he says, repent, the kingdom is at hand. He talks about the realities of hell. And here he's still talking about the reality of hell, the second death. This inheritance comes with a a warning. This inheritance comes with, with a saying of, well, you can't just be kind of in and kind of out. Because those who are kind of in and kind of out will be cast out. You can't just ride the fence. How ignorant I was. I was just such, I mean, I'll be careful here. You know, I was an ignorant teenager. Just was. And I had this philosophy of Christianity. Well, it's better safe than sorry. I go to church. I sometimes pray before basketball games. I'll come to God when things start going south. And for me, it was this, well, I just, it would be better safe, I better err on the side of safety than on sorry, so I'll say I believe in Jesus. All the while, my actions weren't anything like that. My heart was still hard to the message. It still didn't see Jesus as King, as Lord, and I did not surrender. And here Jesus gives the warning. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You only receive this inheritance by being clothed with the righteousness of another, by being seen as a son or a daughter of God. And this is only made possible through our surrender and trust in Christ and what He has done. So Jesus gives this this warning. That only those who are children will receive this inheritance. And this is a free inheritance. But for those who are cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their position will be, or their portion will be in the lake of fire that, that burns, the, the, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. So this begs the question, and this forces us to work out our salvation and ask the question, 
Am I a child of God? Or am I not? Only you can answer that question. God will prepare a perfect place for His children and it's going to be incredible. As we conclude, I just want to give four things of application. The first is this. There is no reason why we as children of God should not have ridiculous hope for the future. There is no reason why you and I should not have hope for the future. So while we are being tempted to put our hope here in things that are temporal and will fade away, let's remind ourselves that we have a far better hope in heaven than we do here on earth. That we have a far better uh, hope to look forward to. Which then leads to the second, is that our confidence should be in what God says. Not the things here on earth. Your confidence shouldn't be in your finances. Your confidence shouldn't be in your health. Your confidence shouldn't be in the possessions that you've acquired over time. Your confidence shouldn't be that your children are going to do the right thing. Those who have ears, let them hear. (laughs) Your confidence should be in God and His Word and what He says is true. It is trustworthy and true. It is done. Jesus says. The next thing is that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling and and, and encourage one another to persevere, to continue to walk on the straight and narrow path. Look, I've said this once before to us and I will say it again. You are not an only child in this family. So stop acting like it. You have brothers and sisters who need you, and you need them. Okay? You need to go to a brother or sister and confess your sin. They need to come you to you and do it. You need to go to a brother and sister and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of concerned to see where you're starting to walk. I'm... I'm kind of concerned to see how you're treating your wife or your kids. I'm concerned about the absence of your presence on Sundays or throughout the week at different functions where we are able to gather with one another. Or on the flip side, you say, I see what you're doing. Keep going. One degree of glory to the next. I'm seeing that salvation worked out, sister. I'm seeing it worked out, brother. Keep on going. It's all right to encourage people. Last. Is a zeal for others to get in on this before it is too late. There will come a time where you will be in heaven, enjoying the new heavens and new earth. 
dwelling with God unhindered. And there will be family members, quite possibly, friends, co-workers, who will look up with tears in their eyes, wondering why you did not share this great news with them. They will look up and desire what you have, knowing they will never get it. Now I understand, it's not up for us to change any heart or soul. The Holy Spirit does that. But how can they believe if we do not bring the good news to them? Read Romans 10. This is what Paul is saying. Faith comes by hearing. And hear, or, uh, faith comes by hearing. And people hear by us proclaiming the good news the gospel from A to Z to them. Let's pray. Father, oh God, we cannot wait for the new heavens and the new earth to come where we will be unhindered in our worship and our devotion to you, where we will finally fellowship with you, constantly remembering and thinking about that and not about the tasks that we have for today. God, we say, come Lord Jesus, come. We can't wait to dwell with you. We can't wait until this curse is done away with. We can't wait to glorify and worship you all the time in every action of our life. So we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen.